swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Welcome to Movie Mistrial. The podcast where we investigate the truthfulness of movies included in the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. My name is Johannes. And I am Raji. Today, we're discussing another film on this illustrious list. A movie that was banned in a few countries and the, <laughs> and, uh, the Great Dictator. The Great Dictator was directed by Charles Chaplin and was released on March 7th, 1941. Charlie Chaplin is wearing many hats for this one as a writer, producer, director, and actor in multiple parts. Well, before we reopen the barbershop, what makes you happy today? Frasier. Frasier is back, guys. Frasier is back. And I'm enjoying the episodes. I think it's a little slow, but, you know, Frasier always starts slow. Um, I grew up watching Frasier, you know, coming back from college, watching Frasier uh, at night. Um, so this is this is good news for me, and I'm enjoying it quite interest, interestingly enough. Uh, oh. The question always is, do you want to bring back shows? <laughs> um, but I think the premise of this one is going well. So um, that makes me happy that we don't have to... We don't have to lie in the bed of consumerism. We can get some quality out of it. What about you? What makes yeah, you happy? Yeah, I've never seen Frasier really, so I, 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 I'm happy that you're elated about this. I don't have consumed a minute of Frasier in my life, I don't think. Um, but in terms of shows that are back that I'm excited about, The Amazing Race and wow. Survivor. I love The Amazing Race. Out of the big three CBS uh, reality shows, The Amazing Race takes the cake for me. I love That's, that show. I think it's always yeah. great to see people try to do their best all around the world and sometimes be rude to people. <laughs> it's just like fast, fast, fast. It's like, yeah, nobody in the world cares for you <laughs> and your <laughs> chance to win a million. But uh, it's always beautiful to see the world and kind of see people grow. I don't think you can see that on the show very well. Um, so yeah, the amazing have- I've not consumed a minute of that show. I've never watched it. Never even. I think if I've seen it, I've only seen it for like 10 seconds and my mm. eyes look glances over. <laughs> uh, you know, it's. I guess it shows the, the different tastes in this film. And <laughs> maybe that in this room. Uh, I don't know. Maybe because I grew up in uh, in a house that kind of enjoys that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm glad Frasier's back. They're, trying, they're talking about bringing Seinfeld back. I've never been that big of a fan of Seinfeld, but I do love Kirby enthusiasm. So maybe they'll maybe they'll merge again. And uh, anyway, ah, yeah. comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, another Charlie Chaplin joint, the Great Dictator. I want to give you guys a recap of the Charlie Chaplin films we've done so far. <laughs> Please do. Um, <laughs> We did Modern Times, and uh, what was the first one we did? Uh, the Kid, or there's the first Charlie Chaplin film we did. I've forgotten what the name was. But I can tell you that... City Lights. Uh, City Lights, yes. I can tell you that we've despised both of those films. Um, and, you know, The Great Dictator is coming in hot. Uh, I, I wonder how this is going to end up. Um, but, yeah, good times. Good times. I mean, it's the first, I think it's the first uh, spoken chaplain. Yeah, this is the, um, 
In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. There were some words in, I mean, in, in modern times, there mm. was a scene where the director said something. Um, and uh, at the end of, um, at the end of modern times too, when they were in the party scene, when she says, uh, you've got to speak. And he goes, starts to sing in Italian gibberish. Uh, that's, uh, that's another moment where something was said, but this was the first true talkie that he did. So uh, he was resistant to it, but you know, time, times are calling. Yeah. All right, uh, before we dive into, uh, we should hear, hear a synopsis. Her, hear, hear a synopsis. The Great Dictator is a 1940s satirical masterpiece directed by and starring Charlie Chaplin. In this film, Chaplin plays dual roles, a Jewish barber and a parody of Adolf Hitler, delivering a bold commentary on the political tensions of the era. Through humor and sharp social critique, the movie emphasizes the absurdity of totalitarian regimes and the importance of democracy and compassion. It remains a timeless classic, showcasing Chaplin's talent as a filmmaker and actor, leaving a lasting impact on audiences. And we're back. What a film. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not super enthused about Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting it out there, probably setting myself up for failure here um, once we go into the coin toss but um yeah let's see where, where we land there okay it's gonna be heads or tails it's gonna be heads for me i'm going for heads i know i know it's gonna land on tails this time but let's go with heads it's heads again it's heads yeah. wow do i get the jackpot do i make johannes uh uncomfortable uh mm, i'm gonna go for this film i want to argue for this film okay Good. Well, then uh, it's upon me to start. All right. I want to see you throw your biggest arguments against this film. You, and you'd be surprised about where I ended up landing. Okay. All right. So, so let's go into it. The witness will address this court as judge or your honor. Your honor. The great dictator. I am severely confused as to what this movie is. Um... I guess let's start with the the framework, the surrounding framework. So this movie was released in 41, um, filmed in 40, so a couple years into the war. And Charlie Chaplin was a Jew. So he's obviously seeing, you know, what's happening in Europe and in Germany. And he wants to create a statement and wants to to showcase the terror of the Nazi regime by making a satire out of it. The challenge I have with this is that I think at that point in time, it was not necessarily super clear of all the horrors that were happening. So it's it's a challenge to mock um, something like the Holocaust while it's ongoing without having full visibility into what you're actually mocking um, because it's kind of trivializing what's going on. Like, um, 
if you depict somebody who's obviously a, a big riff on Adolf Hitler and depict him as kind of this weird flamboyant dancy um doesn't know what he's doing wannabe dictator i think that's a challenge because yes on one hand you try to trivialize this person and try to poke fun at him on the other hand there is great danger in my opinion to um not give to to give it too much levity to kind of weaken kind of the horrors that this person has done right like if you if you try to to trivialize all that and just kind of poke fun at like oh look this person is completely incapable while this person is clearly not incapable at the horrors that he's doing i think that's kind of challenging because it's yes it's kind of fun for satire oh look at him he's kind of flamboyant he dances and you know whatever but at the same time this was still ongoing and and the scope of everything was not clear like the they mentioned, oh, you're going to go into the ghetto, you're going to concentration camps. But I think the the sheer, like the true meaning of what that meant was not necessarily clear. So it's kind of played up for, yes, it's scary, but it's also played up for laughs. Meanwhile, the reality for people is very, very real and very, very different. And that's a challenge, I think. And I also think that it very much feels like this movie was constructed from the end. It's very much like a thesis paper where it's like, I want to land at this big speech saying that is great. Right. That, like that's the highlight of this movie. It's the speech pretty much. I want to land there and I want to make a stance and I want to get this message out. But how do I get to a point to have the speech pay off? And to think we are fumbling through two hours of a movie to get to this finale. And it's completely trivializing what's what's been going on at the same time this was filmed. And that's the main problem I have with this. So, um, it, it, interestingly enough, I, I know that um, this movie, the idea of this movie started around the time where... Um, you know, Lenny Riefenstahl wrote the pro-Hitler documentary, Triumph of the Will. Mm-hmm. And there was, uh, Charlie Chaplin was one of the people who watched it in New York and uh, just laughed throughout this film because he found it totally absurd for the idea uh, that Hitler was trying to portray himself as the good guy, right? This movie came out in 1940. Um, America had decided at that point, not to be interfering in Europe or joining the war. So this movie was very um, forward-thinking in that aspect. Um, the, I know you you brought up an interesting point because the, the, the speech at the very end was very, you know, totally different from the film uh, in many ways. But... I think if you had asked me about this film before I watched that speech, I would have had the exact same opinion as you because it just felt like a mess. It's like so 
<laughs> movie didn't it, it, it was just like multiple ideas there were jump cuts how did they get here what's going on here um you know it it, it felt like a mishmash but I think after listening to the speech, and I grew up in Africa, and we've seen a, sh- a ton of dictators, and they all act the same way. I think this movie is universal, and I think this movie is just as relevant now as it is then. It put a lot of, it put a lot of things like, let me, I'll explain. So we have the tramp, and we have Hinkle, right? Hinkle is Hitler, and the tramp is uh, the tramp he's always played. Um, and the very beginning starts like every Charlie Chaplin film when we see the tramp and they tend to push the um, the button or pull the button and you know explode something that's a few distances away. Um, and then the grenade, and I was just like, oh man, this comedy doesn't work anymore. So we established that the tramp is just a bumbling dweeb. But he's always been a bumbling dweeb. So, you know, modern times, city lights, he's always been the same character. He does things. It doesn't make me laugh. I don't like it. But then we see the character of Hinkle. And Hinkle himself goes on the stage and he starts to speak gibberish. uh, Tarmanian or whatever the language that he said. He's a bumbling dweeb too because everybody's speaking English, but he's speaking in this pseudo-German and he's speaking so much that the microphone is bending. He's putting so much passion, but he's saying nothing. He's just bumbling and he's a dweeb. And the people around him are giving him the pedestal to stand on. Um, But the difference between, you know, the tramp and him is that the tramp saves the pilot and the pilot helps him escape. Um, and because of the escape, the circumstances. Oh, he also saves him when the cops were uh, when the cops were trying to do it. Um, uh, which when they, when they when he gets back to the barber station the first time, um, and because he saved him in the in the beginning, he stands by him and you know gives him some legitimacy. Um, and I, I think that it's interesting because. He gets to the very end of that speech because he made friends. Um, but, you know, Hinkle got there because people believed in him and he had people around him who gave him legitimacy. So there is a direct um, connotation between him and the tramp. I I also think that as the movie got went on, and especially towards the end, There'd been a lot of comedy um, and the horrors of war, but the very end of the film showed the consequences of taking people like, you know, Hinkle for jokes because they inspire people to do crazy things. And when they fought back at the end of the film and the guy pulls out a gun and shoots him, that was the first time I went, oh, this is getting real. All right, this is getting real. and, you know, they start to get people and put them in concentration camps. Um, I I thought, you know, that the use of comedy and horror uh, in this movie was well achieved, especially at the end. And it kind of gave me a different perspective about how the film started. I, I'm not going to say that I loved it. I'm not, I don't, I didn't love it. I don't like, I think his comedy is 
slapstick for slapstick's sake. Um, and every single time I go, this is incompetence. How did this guy get to this position? But this is a movie about messages. And I think the message is very well put. Um, and I don't think it abs absolves the whole film for the absurdity, but it gives a scene where the guy takes the globe and garbage tells him like, Hey, you have the whole world in your palm. And he takes the balloon and he starts to play with it in the room. And then it busts. It gives it meaning because it kind of says, Hey, the dictators are going to destroy the world. Um, let's not give them control of it. So it, it, it's whimsical, but it has a meaning. Um, and I think, that kind of raises this movie for me above the modern times and city lights because those were whimsical for the sake of whimsy. Um, I think this movie is a little bit more meaningful. And for that, I think there is value to this film being on the list. I I I, I can talk a little bit more, but I think I've 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 given my my general opinion of this. So I, I am curious to know what you have to say. I think I may have convinced you. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just trying to. I, 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 I get, like I, I think we've seen a lot of films now that grapple with World War One and World War Two, hmm. uh, right? And most of them are very somber for for a reason right like or if they're not necessarily somber they're just kind of um, more taking the the kind of realistic approach like uh saving private ryan um you know where it's just just kind of almost documentary style ish obviously you know with with the story and all that kind of stuff but um at I'm I'm just kind of hard pressed. I think my my main issue is just that in order to make a successful satire of something like this, I think you need to understand the full gravity of things. Um because the risk of trivializing is so so big right like um you, you say it's a very recent and, and like still very kind of on brand kind of thing right and i agree uh, i think you can see a lot of parallels to today's world uh, with wars and and conflicts and all that but i think the problem is if if you now have kind of a satirical um kind of medium of something that's going on in the real world that's happening now without knowing the, the end of the conflict without knowing kind of where this leads and what, what kind of the true cause of, of that conflict that you're riffing on um, are you set yourself up for potential big missteps. Now I'm not saying that great dictator has a, is a big misstep. Um, I do think that, the that final speech is is the movie right and it's it's kind of a a tale for everybody and you you could take it as 
we know this is going on and this needs to stop, right? And this is kind of the stance. This is Hollywood stance. <laughs> and that's great and all. But I think the the story that we're kind of going through, I just found it very, very challenging because I found it so, it's so uninteresting in a way. I think the tramp, the story of the tramp, like going to World War One, then mysteriously waking up, not remembering anything, but going back to work as a barber and just kind of, you know, happening, going through life like he does and always falling from one thing to the other. Okay. But we've seen a lot of movies like that with the tramp already. And it's, it's kind of the same. I understand it's, it's been Chaplin's brand, right? And so he needed to put that in. Um, on the other hand, you have the Hinkle character and that's just incompetence. And I, I'm wondering then there, why is this kind of clearly incompetent person like put in, in charge, right? Especially when you have the um, Benzino Napolini character come, come in and he seems to be at least have more authority than Hinkle. But I'm wondering why, why is Hinkle enabled to do all this? Right. And and again, it just kind of draws the picture of, of the real life person. It kind of makes this statement of, oh, Hitler is kind of an impotent, uncapable person that's just kind of a figurehead for the people that enable him around him, which I just don't believe is necessarily true. And but but that's kind of a challenge though, right? Because you're trivial trivializing the power this person had, but depicting him as this kind of futzy powerless person that doesn't really understand what's happening right like that like in a in a state affair kind of confrontation with with the Mussolini person where it's like oh I need a flower and then he just sits there with a flower it's like you're, you're really making a joke out of him but what what does that say about the person that you're you're kind of mimicking Right, like I think, like modern satire is is grounding a lot of the the jokes on truth. Like if you look at um, Saturday Night Live and they do like politics satire, like they riff on character traits that are uh, very visible and kind of understandable, and you understand why they riff on them, right? Be it like weird speech patterns from from Donald Trump, right? Like that's a very easy easy thing to riff on because people understand what you're riffing on i i think where this really falls flat for me is that chaplin riffed on on somebody like adolf hitler on something that hitler was very careful at constructing his own persona and like you said with with laney riefenstahl like he was really trying to craft a specific persona, right? But but Chaplin makes a stance of like, well, but actually, this guy is is kind of an idiot. But I don't think, I don't, I you know, I I would I would find it hard to believe that he would have been able to get where he did, had he been kind of this incompetent idiot. Mm. So I think that and that's just fundamentally kind of a problem of this because it's it's like. It's in the middle of, of what's happening, this conflict. You your grasp on the person 
I don't think is correct. And then you're, you're making fun of him based on your incorrect grasp. And I think that just falls flat. So I'm going to contrast. Okay. One of the tricky things about this is as much as Charlie Chaplin wants to distance the tramp from this film, I can't help but feel like we watched the tramp. Yeah. This. Totally. So, um, he 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 always says this is technically not a trap, but this is the trap. Yeah. Um, so let's not go with that. Um, he had the same mannerisms, the same kind of humor. Uh, so I think that you know trivializing in a sense is true. But um, I want to allude to one specific point in in um, modern times where. Paulette Goddard says, uh, you must speak when everybody's like, he's dancing and everybody was telling him to speak. And he was like, Paulette Goddard said, you must speak. And he goes and he does, you know, the mock Italian stuff. Like I think I mentioned in the introduction. Um, and in that period, he just says, you know, mumbo jumbo. Um, and, you know, it kind of highlights the very end of this film too. Uh, context is, you know, this is Charlie Chaplin's first talkie. And he was one of the few uh, actors and directors who, did, who didn't want to move to the talkies. Because, uh, believe it or not, one of the things that made silent films universal is that everybody could understand the interpretation uh, of the film without, uh, without anybody saying anything. And if they needed to put anything into writing, they just put a frame in there that just said what did you, what what you needed to say in the appropriate language. So the movie was universal, and the moment you heard him talk in this film, you kind of diminish his size. And he talked about how do I use this grenade? That was the first thing he said. Uh, and really, you localize him as being British. It makes the film less universal. So. And throughout this film, he felt small. But at the very end, when, like the Paulette Godard said, you know, you got to talk, this guy says you got to talk. And he gave one of the, I think one of the most interesting speeches. And you have to think about the character of the tramp throughout this film, all his films, and at the very end of this one, um, it's such a, it's such an inspiring speech. And literally you can play this speech and talk about, you know, the move away from democracy that is going on in America right now. Uh, the move of democracy that's going on, uh, away all around the world. You know, Africa is getting dictators all, all over the place. Uh, and you can play this and it would still make sense today. I feel like this movie is quite important especially given the context of the last few minutes, um, that I can't help but feel like this was a way for Charlie Chaplin to transition away from the silenties to the talkies, um, the silent films to the talkies. And I think that as a medium, it was good, especially given the fact that at the end of the film, uh, when they were talking about the woman who was laying down on the ground and the daughter was trying to say, can you hear, can you hear? And she says, listen, uh, that was quite that was quite powerful. I thought that was pretty good. So um, I will talk about the irony. Let me just, I'll just mention the irony about this. 
Um, the great dictator uses focus and the fact that he's standing alone on the stage to portray a message of hate. The irony is that he's using the same medium, but he's trying to push a message of love and acceptance. But there is something to be said about the fact that they're both using the same medium to try to portray contrasting images or contrasting views. So it's the great dictator and the great people who are not dictators use the same form of deliverance to push their own messages. And there's a big irony in the fact that the great dictator uses it for hate and he uses it for love, but it's still the same medium. So I, I think that's that's my take on the film. Um, I I liked it somewhat. I didn't like it, but then kind of that message gave it a different perspective. And I would say this is like the first Charlie Chaplin film that I would say is all right. Is all right. Um, does it deserve to be in the IMDb top two fifty? It's open for interpretation. Um, but I, I, I think we can go into sidebar if you don't have yeah. anything else you want to add. No, let's go to the sidebar. Overruled. Sidebar. Guilty. Speculation. Hearsay. Bailiff. Briefcase. Disregard. In my chamber. Stop Beaver on the witness. Arrest. We could totally be lawyers. <laughs> sidebar. Okay. <laughs> That's a Charlie Chaplin sidebar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just don't like the tramp. Uh, yeah, I see. The question is, the tramp was useful in the time the tramp existed. Um, but in modern times, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it doesn't work. I don't. Well, it may not work for. It may not. It doesn't work for me. I yeah. should say it doesn't work for me. Um, I I can appreciate that in the time where these movies came out, it was successful in pushing a kind of message, but the time has changed and the humor is very unsophisticated. And watching that unsophistication, especially given the fact that movies have changed so much, doesn't sit well with me and it doesn't work. But I think the message in this one is a bit different and it works overall. What's your yeah. take? I think the thing that, that is impressive about the tramp is the physicality of it, mm-hmm. of the of the character, and kind of the physicality that that Charlie Chaplin brings to the table. I think there is like that is very impressive, and that that's cool to see somebody who is kind of at their the peak of their craft. But I think the the stories he's told through these movies is kind of inherently uninteresting. Right, like it's it's cool from a from a performance standpoint. If you just take it as, you know, this is a, a dude that was very good at physical comedy. If you like slapstick or not, I tend to not like it, right? But I I can still uh, appreciate the the work that goes into like doing all of that because mm. oftentimes it's like it's not as easy as it looks, right? Like what what he's doing there. But yeah, it's it's just I don't, I'm just not big on Charlie Chaplin, and you know that that's perfectly subjective. And 
I know lots of people kind of love the kid, right? And it's 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 like he's he's put on a pedestal, and I think he tells stories that are relevant for people, just not for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And and like I, said, I have problems with this, but I think the the final message is really good. It just feels like we're kind of strung along for a long, long time to get to that point. I and, think that okay, go on. You know, and and like the World War One piece where he's kind of like, I don't know how to do this, and it's like, so you're on the battlefield and you have not seen anybody do this, right? Like, just kind of fundamentally is like, I know you want to get to the slapstick piece, but just you're like that character is not as much as of an idiot as you make him out to be, but you only make him out to be an idiot because it's funny. Frustrating to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the, I'm going to say that, you know, we've seen a few um, Charlie Chaplin films and I think I've, I've reiterated that several times this during this. One of the things that the movies benefit from is great elaborate sets. Um, and he uses physical, like when he was going through those gears in modern times, those, that was pretty impressive to watch. Um, and, um, you know, the the other one was the um, the skating on the edge. That was pretty cool to watch. I yep. think this movie doesn't have a lot of great scenes like that. And I think the closest we got was the plane scene uh, where the plane was flying upside down. But that annoyed me because mm-hmm. it went on too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, anybody in his right mind could know that the plane was upside down. So I think generally speaking, I think the movie is good. I like it a lot. Oh, no, sorry. I take that back. I don't like it a lot, but I like it um, for what the message is trying to portray. But, you know, people will have their takes um, and Charlie Chaplin will have his fans. Uh, I'm not one of them, but I can appreciate this film. That's all I have. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, not the biggest fan, but I think, you know, it'll take a while for us to get to another Chaplin movie. Thank so, God for that. Thank God for that. <laughs> um, in terms of another movie that's coming up, though, Witness for the Prosecution. Uh, all right. Well, Marlene Dietrich. Marlene Dietrich. Is it a German film? I don't think so. Gatha Christie wrote it. Oh, okay. I have not heard anything about this movie, but I'm very interested in checking it out now. I've never seen it, never heard of it. All right, cool. Okay. Well, Cool. It'll be a new one for us. Uh, until then, though, how could people find us? You can find us on excrement, ex, ecstatic, ecstasy, on uh, at Movie Mistrial, or they can find us on Instagram or Facebook on at Movie Mistrial, or they can send us an email at Mo- contact at moviemistrial.com. Yeah. Cool. Keep excreting. <laughs> Keep excreting. <laughs> All right. And with that, have a wonderful day. Sure thing. <laughs>